have to recognize what other people are feeling. And yeah, if you recognize that one of your clients is like pained because their livelihood is now at risk because your software broke, suddenly you're, you're like feeling the weight on your shoulders to fix that. That's how I felt every time a bug rolled in, every time a guy was stuck in the field and I was the only guy in the world that knew the code base to fix it. <laughs> That's why I would work until midnight. That's why I missed dinner time to, to make sure that happens. What's up, everybody? Kevin and Mike Wagstaff here. Bootstrapping SaaS to Millions is the name of the podcast. We're telling stories and lessons, giving tips, uh, failures on growing our business from zero to an eight-figure business. What's up, Mike? Hey, hey. Um, we were just catching up a minute ago. It was kind of cool talking about the future. Um, we won't go into too many updates on what's going on, on the Spectora side, but um, we're going to talk about leaders, building up leaders in your company. And this can start like literally when you hire your first person. Some companies start a leadership program when they have 10 or 20 people in. Um, what do you think about the current phase we're at with like thinking of building up leaders that can help us lead the company? I think we started it a little too late. <laughs> <laughs> I think, which makes total sense. When we were small and scrappy, we were just having more tasks to do than we had time to do it. So then we were hiring people and saying, hey, help us with this answer emails, answer chats. Um, we weren't thinking about too far ahead in the future. We were probably not even thinking about next week, right? We were just getting through each week. It's very nice right now to be at a place in our company's growth where we're thinking about folks that can lead um, the front lines and putting a layer kind of in between us and everybody else. We used to be um, you, me, and then the next layer was everybody working for us. Everybody else. All 20-something people. And uh, so yeah. Developing leaders, having a, finally a formal leadership program to like find people that have leadership characteristics. How do we develop their thinking? How do we develop their emotional intelligence so that they can do some of the things that um, need to be done? I think it's a great phase to be at and something that was overdue, but also it's like the right time. It is. And before we get into anything like, you know, prescriptive or talking about what we've done, do you think it's even possible for those listening that are at the phase of, okay, 1K MRR, 5K MRR, 10K, and maybe you have an employee, would we have done anything different if we know, you know, then what we know now when, when we were in that phase of like, just do the thing, like just answer the chats, just build the feature? I think, yes, there, there were things that we did sometimes, but inconsistently like cluing people in on the why, talking mm. about the big picture of the business, why we're making sort of certain business decisions or product decisions or strategy decisions. Back when we all shared a little office, you and I would just talk and everybody could overhear it. And so they'd be like, oh, that was really useful. Thanks for like explaining that. I never knew why we did that thing we did. Um, and then I think as we grew and then the, the room got a little more crowded, you and I would pop out to a conference <laughs> room to be able to talk in private. And then the team got a little bit less clued in I think leadership involves big picture knowledge. That's that's one key requisite. I think the other is emotional intelligence. Um, yeah, we at some at various points did better with the big picture knowledge. Now our, our formal leadership program gives some space to talk about the big picture, lets people see the big picture, even divulges some of the raw numbers that used to be only you and I looking at. Right. Um, so it's part of the evolution. But yeah, would I if I if we were doing it over again? I would keep everybody as clued into the big picture as I could. Uh, and then, you know, developing emotional intelligence, that's another 
big thing that's really hard to do when you're just trying to like fulfill orders or get more subscriptions or whatever else. So that's more of like who you decide to be on the team. Right. Yeah. Because I feel like in the early days, it's hard to think about an intentional meeting every week to talk about the vision. We don't have a vision when you're just like, we just got to get to 2K MR so we yeah. can maybe think about paying ourselves someday. Yeah. So I, I can't even say that I would even go back and say like, hey, let's neglect these customers that are right. that the product's breaking. They want answers. They want support to go talk about someday when we're, we don't even know if that's coming. So hard to say that. But yeah, I agree with you of like uh, even – baking in kind of where we think we could go and being more audacious and setting a little more audacious goals early on. Yeah. Cause uh, we had, I mean, I remember when we were sitting in my apartment daydreaming where this could go and we had like multiple phases. We had this big vision that we laid out and then we put that in a drawer and focused on my vision is to pay my mortgage next month. Right. <laughs> and right. So, you know, it became very short term and survival based, which it needed to be. And we kept that vision kind of tucked away. And it's only more recently that we've been like dusting that off and talking about it with our team and kind of showing them like, yeah, there's this thing we've been thinking about for years. This is where we're headed. Um, I don't know if it was necessity or if we could have talked about what do you, what do you think? Do you think we should, what would you have done um, differently? I yeah, I maybe would have spoke found the confidence just you know through all the imposter syndrome of being like uh oh, this shit might not work <laughs> like this is a good chance this might not work and uh and kind of muster up the courage to say hey one day we're gonna have ten thousand customers but we can't get there unless we get number two and three and have them really love us and so it's so part of it actually now that i'm saying it is like it's unknowable at the time of how the word of mouth would have played out and so like first time first time entrepreneurs usually don't realize the like the the wildfire that word of mouth becomes right so yeah it's hard it, I, I go back and forth because to me it's like also being in the present of like we're gonna do everything we can for this one customer right and that's all we need to care about and not thinking about one day i i do remember those certain like team meetings where we were like hey when we have 500 customers hey when we have 1,000 customers this is how it's going to need to be Hey, when we hire our next few people, you know, like kind of, it, it, it's not vision casting in this grand elaborate way, but it was letting people know we're super confident that growth will continue while still focused on here's what we need to do for growth to continue. Right. Right. And, and then I probably would also talk with each of the early employees about potential growth paths with more specificity because i think you know we vaguely were like hey we'll grow you'll grow it'd be great yeah. just keep working hard <laughs> and that that maybe uh is less real you know thinking back on it now the way we talk about future paths now people want even if it's wrong even if it's subject to change i would realize that hey we're going to constantly communicate about this because we were scared of promising you know some, someone something and then didn't pan out yeah i guess we didn't realize hey we're going to be with you along this whole journey we'll talk to you as things shift and change, but like laying out a path for someone. Yeah. It was so haphazard at times though. Like Alexis, our what, third hire, fourth hire. At one point she was doing like the work of five different, what are now departments, right? Right. Right. She was doing sales. She was doing support. She was doing Websites. web design. She was doing biz dev. Um, she was doing so many things. Um, and we didn't know where the future would be because we just knew there's things that needed to be done. So, could we have painted a more 
a better vision. She didn't e- even know, like, I don't know what I want to do in a few years. No. Let me just keep helping out with whatever comes up and we'll figure it out together. So a part of me thinks, hey, that that is kind of the phase that you have to be in at a certain point of just hire people that are versatile. Maybe they don't kick ass at any one thing, but they can kick ass at doing a lot of things. That's a that, our title for the job, Startup Hustler. Startup Hustler, yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe that's what builds leaders is wearing all hats, being adaptable, just saying yes to everything. And so that in itself might be the muscles that build up leaders. So, um, okay, so let's shift and talk about kind of things we've noticed in people early on um, that told us, hey, they're going to help lead this company. Um, I put down like what traits, attributes are you really looking for? And to me, initially, it's kind of cliche, but it's like the people that do just say yes to anything you throw at them, knowing full and well in a startup, you don't know how to do it. You don't know what the result's going to look like. But the people that are just like, oh, yeah, I got that. I'll figure it out. Right. So how do you how do you hire for that gene like that uh, or that, you know? It's a great question. And I would add to that, not just saying yes to everything, but also doing it, closing the loop. Because there's people that just <laughs> that's, that's, that. that's a good point. And then it gets lost under their desk somewhere. Yeah. And you're just like, hey, that thing you said you did, like, or would do, did you do it? And like, oh, about that. Yeah. So it almost has to come with this like stick with itness and um, conscientiousness of like, when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And then I just report back, that is now done. And so we can feel like it's off our desk. It's like handing the baton to somebody that is now yours to accomplish. You just let me know when it's complete. The people that do that, gosh, that it, it's so, it relieves a burden on our shoulders that is um, rewarded because it's immeasurable, the benefits from it. I'd say you make more money flat out. If any, you know, I don't know if anyone listening is not an owner of a company and a leader an executive. Um, but like when you make our lives easier, we're naturally going to just reward you because you're saving us a mind space, saving us headaches, saving us uh, time and money. Um, but anyway, it's, it's also people that have that naive optimism like us. Um, you know, they're competitive, they're adaptable, kind, empathetic, all the great things. Right. And so, once you identify that, or once we identified that, I think we naturally just started meeting with them more often. It wasn't structured, right? I think with, with, with Katie and JP, we each kind of met on a regular basis and the conversation naturally goes from task oriented and you start weaving in some like future vision planning and all that. And so the energy kind of gravitates and like, if, especially if they initiate the meetings with you. That positivity you know, it's funny because you call it naive optimism and like there's definitely folks that are like, oh, well, I'm just more pragmatic and I see the reasons why things won't work. And that's like important for a lot of things, right? Because, it, you know, I think we've all worked for people that are just like, oh, we're, we're going to do all these things. Just go make it happen. And there's not like a concrete plan or a true evaluation of the obstacles and challenges. So it's not like totally naive, but it is like a hardwired mentality that you will overcome any challenges that occur that you anticipate, yes, there will be challenges and I can handle them. That mentality is like, it's contagious, it's necessary. Any startup founder knows it's necessary. I think as a startup founder, you have to be naively optimistic because you can't even know all the challenges that you're gonna have to run into. But when developing leaders in a company, yeah, there also needs to be a strong element of that. How do you find it? I, I don't know. I think we've hired a lot of former entrepreneurs or people have succeeded in a lot of other things. Because I think to go far in anything, you have to just know, hey, 
it's going to get hard. I'm going to figure it out. That's a, it's a, she's now that you say that I'm like, wow, how, how intentional are people with early interview questions for or interview questions for early hires on if they're wired for optimism? Cause I think the early team has to be, because if you have kind of the cautious, you know, brake pumpers, how are you ever going to like think of the next product or think of something ridiculous or a counterintuitive way to do something? So definitely weird. A one that I, we haven't figured out in terms of like, what do you ask yeah. in an interview to find out if someone yeah. is wired for that? I know we've been asking like, what's the hardest thing you've ever done and just seeing how, not, not just what they say, but how they talk about it. And then asking like, how did you do that? And you know, sometimes people talk about like the ethics passed down from their parents or like mental fortitude. But yeah, it's a hard thing. We haven't definitely, we definitely have not perfected the process. We're always trying to figure out better ways. If you have good ways, let us know. Yeah, please let us know. Um, you know, and talking about the future was something I went back and forth on a lot because there's there's the fear of promising too much, like I said, but then there's also the uncertainty that you're feeling. So it's like, how can I sound certain about a future that is uncertain? That's just like the definition of entrepreneurship. So it's like this skill, I'm realizing it's the skill and muscle you and I have been building up of talking about an uncertain future in certain terms. Yeah. And uh, it feels very, it can feel inauthentic, but the more you do it, the more you start like believing it. And then your team believes it. And then they're like, okay, what do we need to do to do it? And so building up leaders so much I'm realizing is like talking about that future. I guess vision casting is the fun word that we learned, you know, from Dirk at the conference we were at. But just talking about the future one-to-one I found was super high leverage with Katie, JP, and others. Yeah, the because you're right. You, we have to be authentic and like, yes, this is where we want to go. And it might not work out, but here's how we get there. We need to figure out how we get there. We need to anticipate challenges, overcome them. And by having those conversations and saying, you're vital to us getting there. We're all doing this together. To me, a lot of it is like not um, not just telling folks what to do. That's the like boss employee mentality. That's probably what we did early on. Right. Here's a bunch of tasks you do them. Now to develop leaders, you have to say like, I'm going to create this environment where you can thrive and make big decisions and fail and learn from your failures, and it's okay. It's that um, the metaphor I use is it's like crafting a garden. Like let's create all the perfect environmental conditions for you to grow and thrive. You know, in a garden, you need good soil, good sunlight, uh, water. Within a space of company, we need um, acceptance for failure, uh, an environment where you can learn, um, giving some autonomy, maybe even before it feels like you're ready to. That's key. That's been huge. We were terrible at that. I remember I used to see something go wrong, and then I just be like, hey, that's wrong. Let me fix it. Right. You know, I'd like right over their code, or I'd (laughs) uh, file. Let's let's redo this instead of saying, you decide what would you do those are the things that i think are um, what building leaders is about oh it's why we're even able to record this podcast right now frankly and why we're able to think about the future and think about other products and add-ons that are going to get us to 10 mil 15 mil 20 mil years so it's letting go of the wheel before you're ready completely and i would have done that sooner that's one thing i think uh if anyone is at a stage earlier than us sooner I would let go and say, how would you handle customer success? How would you do this sales call and just sit there silently and shotgun? And uh, 
I'd say though, let's give you more credit because yeah, we hired early on, we hired customer success, which we, you know, support as well as education demos. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hired kind of sales people that do like demos and onboarding. Mm-hmm. And remember how every time it came around for a quarterly review and we're like, yeah, we never listened to a single phone call. <laughs> we never watched a single Zoom demo. We didn't, um, we'd like scroll through and look at like two or three random chats and be like, oh yeah, they're pretty good. So True. we really did take our hands off the wheel because we were so busy. We had to. True. Because we were each doing our own things. You were creating content making sure we're moving up the rankings on Google. I was writing code. And so we, we took our hands off the wheel maybe more than we realized. That's a great point. Maybe we, yeah, in the websites, I've, you know, I've barely looked at the websites that the team was building and just, but then that showed us that like, okay, we mostly do have the right people on the bus. And so, um, yeah, that worked out then. Yeah. <laughs> it, it may not have been like leadership, but it was giving autonomy and responsibility or very early on. Right. And so I think you're right. Like if you hire the right people, you don't have to micromanage. If you find yourself micromanaging, you probably hire the wrong people. That is something I think I've seen recently or heard on a podcast, maybe on Twitter of people being stuck in the weeds, micromanaging. And it's, it, it takes sometimes reading a book or something to scale out and say like, do I need to make the hard decision to let this person go? And you and I historically have been bad at that, but we've gotten better in terms of saying, why does this feel so hard every day? Why does it feel like we're pushing the rock up the hill? And I think uh, if you don't have a co-founder, you got to have someone to bounce these things off of because then you internalize and then uh, you get pissed and you resent them. Then you lose hair and everything gets worse, you know, when, when you don't have a sounding board. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was something I heard on another podcast too, in terms of talking about the vision sooner or right when you hire people of saying like, Hey, we're uh, we have this destination. This is what it looks like don't worry about like how we're going to get there. Don't focus on the car or the work on the car. Just like think about this vision and getting people to like really see it and like paint that picture. I thought that was interesting. And then talk about who, who are you today and who do you want to be once we get to this destination? So the focus turns on like the person and that's very like a people centric way of hiring and building leaders is saying like, yeah, yeah, we'll figure out the tasks, but like what kind of person do you want to be once we get there? Let's turn you into that person. Right. I love Kind of cool. I love this. And of course, my background in counseling psychology, you know, you talk about the hero's journey. It's like nah. the, the archetype of every movie you've ever watched, every book you've ever read. How do you make this very personal for your team member that we are all going on this journey together and you're going to be as a team member transformed by this? Like everybody needs to be the hero in their own story. That applies to your team members. That applies to your co-founders. That applies to your customers. If you don't make them the hero, if you're not helping them get better, what's the point of what you're doing? Right. So your product should make your clients feel better about their life and that they're winning and going through this journey. Your management style should make your employees feel like, wow, I'm a better person because of this journey. I'm not just grinding it out for like paying the bills. Nothing. Yeah. Like make them like the Frodo or Sam or what, you know, so one of those guys, one of the, one of like, I'm, that's the first one place my hobbitses. mind went. Yeah. One of those hobbits is that's where my mind went where I'm like, you are going to feel like so great once we get to this uh, destination and then asking them like, what is your vision for yourself? Like, what's your mission for, you know? And uh, I don't think I've ever asked someone that. So I'm going to try it. They're deep questions. And like, it's funny because so much of, um, I maybe mentioned this in an earlier podcast, what we're doing now feels more like when I was a counselor <laughs> right. than when I was a counselor. Using that degree. Yeah. Using yeah. that degree. Because it is really 
digging in and getting the most out of people, getting them to feel the motivation and inspiration that we're all going to this place together. And that's, it's not easy. It's a very different skill set than coding or SEO or marketing or sales or anything else. Maybe some more similar sales than anything else. And, um, but it's powerful and you can feel it when that shift happens within somebody where suddenly you have a peer that is now inspiring others and they're doing that thing for other people on the team. And that's when you know, hey, this person is a leader in my company. And if we can encourage anyone to maybe dip your toe in that in that water sooner of asking someone, what is your mission, uh, your mission for yourself or your vision and letting them know that like, yeah, you are more important. Like it may be, like, it's a weird thing. I think I, I had in my notes here of like, you're more important to yourself than this business or any other entity. So it's just like acknowledging that, yes, you are important to yourself. Let's talk about that as opposed right. to just putting that in a drawer and saying like, no, no, the company matters. Right. Is it good for the company or whatever? <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's a very people centric way. I think of saying like, we're investing in you yeah. wholly and fully um, and we could do better. at it. Right. Cause nobody gives a shit about your company until that's earned and it has to align with, what they truly care about, which is their personal journey. Right. If those aren't aligned, it's all facade. They might pretend like rah, rah, your company's great, but unless it's truly aligned, it's just going to be fake. And then the the results will speak for themselves. I mean, this already makes me want to go have five, 10 conversations, um, (laughs) you know, just talking it out. It's like, we've done it with leaders and it's like, it has to trickle down either you or the leaders under you have to be having those conversations with, with everyone. And real quick, can I um, put in another plug? I said this earlier. I think one of the key things emerging leaders have that we've noticed is emotional intelligence. Yeah. If they, because there's people that are technically great at their jobs. They do their jobs very, very well. But if they don't have the ability to recognize in others when there is maybe that disconnect of alignment, if they don't have the wherewithal to know when they are feeling a slight discomfort that is like, the, uh, the root of something they really need to address, they're never going to be good leaders mm. unless you develop that or nurture it. And that's a really hard thing to nurture because usually that starts with childhood. <laughs> it, it's a really hard thing to develop. I think you can develop it. I think it's probably a 10 year endeavor to go from somebody with low emotional intelligence to like high emotional intelligence. But when you see signs of it, I think you got to encourage it. You got to nurture it. You got to lean into it because at its core, Management leadership is an emotional human endeavor. And if you think it's just about numbers and metrics, you're missing what is behind, what is the driving force behind that all comes back to those inner, inner things. Wow. Now that you say that too, as you were saying, I was thinking of like who we have in place as leaders and they check the box and it makes me feel so good because you think of the conversations as an entrepreneur that you have to have with investors or, um, your first customers or um, co-founders, right. all very deeply emotional, money attached, emotion attached conversations. And uh, that should come first, Yeah, almost. I mean, you gotta have some skill, right? You know, CTOs gotta know, know their shit. Yeah. But, uh, wow, yeah. One of my, I, I'm gonna write a book someday, everything I learned about business, I learned from dating. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great title, by the way. One of my first uh, girlfriends, you know, in like middle school or high school, um, told me like, Hey, like, I won't remember what you said or what you did. I'll remember how you made me feel. And that was huge for me. I was a very logical kid and like thinking I could just like logic my way to like, well, here's why I'm justified. 
for doing whatever shitty jerk thing I did. <laughs> and even though it made perfect logical sense in my head and it just if it made somebody feel shitty, okay, that's the that's what they're left. That's with. what's real. That's what they act off of, and that is what is the precedent for future events. And mm. so gosh, that's such a huge thing that can apply to everything in your life. And is and if you can always come back to that, I mean we talk about that with clients. Like it we tell clients things that disappoint them all the time, but if we make them feel like, hey, you were heard, your voice matters to us, you're important to us, that's the feeling they're left with. And they can still be raving fans of our company because they know, hey, these guys like value me. That's the key to like most of life, I think. <laughs> yeah, man, that's heavy and deep and real. And and it has to, and I'm trying to think of what goes into really feeling that. And so uh, when I think of... Um, you know, peer-to-peer employee-to-employee communications or talking to a customer that's upset. Underneath that, I think it's worth giving lip service to talking with your team about like, do you actually care? And like, what goes into actually caring? Like, what would make you actually care that this person can't do their job or that um, your peer is not happy with their salary or whatever the case is? Um, But that goes back to sometimes unteachable skills of feeling and having empathy for others empathy i believe goes hand in hand with emotional intelligence like if you don't have emotional intelligence it's really hard to feel empathy because you just don't recognize what other people are feeling right and so you have to recognize what other people are feeling and yeah if you recognize that one of your clients is like pained because their livelihood is now at risk because your software broke suddenly you're you're like feeling the weight on your shoulders to fix that that's how I felt every time a bug rolled in, every time a guy was stuck in the field and I was the only guy in the world that knew the code base to fix it. <laughs> That's why I would work until midnight. That's why I missed dinner time to, to make sure that happened. And that comes from a very emotional place. It's, um, it's hard. A lot of our engineers have a really hard time understanding when they first come into our business, why we drop everything to fix a bug. When and it's like, hey, the guy's in the field and that sucks for him. He's going to remember that we had his back or he's going to remember how it felt when we were like, you fat, you your ticket number 3,252 <laughs> in a few months when this is fixed. That's a very different feeling. That's why sometimes we're slow to roll out features because we're busy making sure our clients feel good. And that's why we have an eight-figure business now and not still toiling away at. <laughs> that's a great call. That's why we have, I think, 550 five-star reviews on Capterra. Someone mentioned that the other day. Um, someone from another industry was like, that's the most I've ever seen with a five-star rating. How did you do that? <laughs> I explained what you just explained of prioritizing our customers, prioritizing the people that pay us money, instead of always thinking about the next thing or making some fancy graphs and charts to right. show on Twitter or some bullshit. It yeah. was it was like literally caring about those people. So yeah. we're going off on a tangent here, but like that, I think it all goes back to empathy and it even makes me reevaluate how we're looking at people we're hiring right now, you know, cause we're about to hire five to 10 people. And it's like, how do we make sure they are empathetic humans? Yes. How do you test for that? How do you ask that? If we figure that out. Well, cool. And then I, the only last thing I wanted to touch on was um, even early on it, it, maybe if you're one meeting a week or month, if anything, it's having maybe kind of a goal and vision session. Um, you know, we, we've debated whether it's good or not, but I think 
breaking down segments of the business and making the goals more digestible and real to each person. Cause it's easy to say we want a thousand customers someday, but then it's like, what does that mean to the support person? What does that mean to uh, your salesperson? Can you, along with like talking about their personal journey, can you say, what's your goal for this month? Okay. For this week. And then kind of boiling it down and then letting go from there and not micromanaging. So I don't know. I think start closing the loop, regular check-in sessions, basically high communication. High communication, high degrees of autonomy. And then it's funny. I, if you remember when uh, JP first started and there was like some big decision that he kind of um, was lead on Mm -hmm. and it went south. Mm -hmm. Like it was this migration of our database from Heroku to AWS and like, it was disaster and it was a disaster we had our biggest downtime ever and he felt like it was almost like his fault and by not like it wasn't even a conscious choice for me i was just like dude we all decided this together i approved of it after you you kind of presented it and every single engineer had a hand in like saying yeah this is this looks like the way to go he i remember him afterwards coming to me and telling me like dude that meant, meant the world to me that you didn't that the failure was okay because all it was was like, okay, how do we fix it? And then how do we learn from it? That was the whole goal of the next few weeks. We had like postmortems and debriefs. We figured out, like we spent a lot of time figuring out the root cause. Yeah. And we learned all these things about IOPS and like how, how AWS databases handle things differently than Heroku based on all these configuration settings. We learned. And we also learned that, hey, maybe we need to move slower and have more testing and evaluation. And like just creating that environment for failure to be okay was his biggest takeaway and something that he felt like, wow, I'm more invested in the company now. This is a place for me to learn and grow and develop as a, as an employee, as a leader, all of these things. And like um, that feedback was really cool to hear because like I said, it wasn't a conscious decision. That's I think how you and I have always thought yeah. people fuck up and you're like, cool. What did we learn? Like, how are we going to do it better next time? Right. Instead of coming down on them and like, uh, cause it, we all have made mistakes. We all will make mistakes. To me, that's like the essence of leadership is, is giving room because that's the only place you learn us telling them this is the right decision. It doesn't, that's not how leadership happens. No, they just come back and ask the next time. And then it's like, still takes up time. I remember that being a very pivotal moment and you handled that beautifully. And I just remember him kind of being on a springboard off that. Like he just was feeling so great after a big mistake that like yeah. caused downtime and cost us money. But you, you kind of like levitated above it and just saw the big picture and then just said like, patted him on the back and said like, Hey, get back in the game. It's fine. Like yeah. we're going to be okay. Um, and that's true trust. I think and when you have the right people on the bus, that that's how it happens. And so much of this pro doesn't feel like work in the moment, especially the earlier you are in your, in your company. Right. I think now we, we totally have seen the light and said, okay, this is real work. This right. is like the hardest type of work. Sometimes mental gymnastics early on, it might feel like I just got to go code a feature. I just got to go right. sell another customer. So there's a balance. It's going to skew more towards like the, the hard work in the trenches, right. Early with maybe 1% then 2% then 10% of communication and vision and kind of mental training. Yeah. The bigger your company gets, the more that this is necessary, the more that this is like uh, real work. Yeah. And you know, yeah, intuitively you just kind of have to know like, where's your biggest priority. I think we felt when the team is feeling a little more checked out, yep. we felt when somebody's drifting away and then we feel when people are totally engaged as a leader, that's the things you need to notice. 
when developing leaders, that's the things you need to teach them to notice and prioritize. And it's a very different skill set than maybe what got them there. And that's the things that you got to notice. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's quite a journey. And at every step of the way, it's going to probably have more challenges. We'll figure those out as they come. Let's give some people some good language because I think this is one of your superpowers. Let's equip people with language of how to call out and name the uncomfortable feeling in a, in a room, whether it's a partner, investor, employee, co-founder. How do you go about uh, kind of extracting that out of them, you know, kind of like that. Some people say like, uh, I don't know, someone like Oprah or something had some superpower of like getting you to just like pour out what was inside. I think, so again, this goes back to some of my training as a therapist. There's this concept called unconditional positive regard that is a popular and humanistic um, schools where it's like, if I just always feel like, dude, you're trying your best, you're doing the most with what you got that you can feel that. Mm -hmm. And so then if I call out something like, hey, Kev, I just, I, I noticed you're feeling a little checked out. Or I noticed, hey, you're leaning back in, in this meeting. Is there something that you want to talk about? Those little things give people space. And it's not with judgment. Like the more you can convey things without judgment of like, hey, why are you, why are you checking out? <laughs> it's very different than I noticed this thing. Right. What's up? Yeah. And then anytime anybody has any feedback, positive or negative, like, gosh, thank you for bringing this up. I think it's really important for us to talk about and then gauging everybody's reactions and talking through things like given the space and time, I think is way more important than how you phrase anything. If you can get your internals right, but coming from this authentic place of everybody's doing their best, everybody's doing a good job. We might have different views. Let's start there. That to me is like the, the 90%, 80% at least. The rest of how you word things, how you phrase things, that all stems from how you feel internally. Uh, at least that's my perspective. That's, I don't know. That's great. That's exactly what I wanted to get out of that. I think that's saying those things in those moments are what just stops, you know, not the bleeding, but stops those feelings from turning into resentment, turning into like less productivity, less fulfillment. It just cuts through it. And it literally right. could change the trajectory of companies, I think, because you do that with a couple people you know how your engine that just drives your company now because these people are feeling heard and cared for. Yeah. It has nothing to do with OKRs. It has nothing to do with answering chats or, you know, calling prospects. So yeah. I love it. Again, it's like making people feel seen, feel heard, feel valued. Right. And I think everybody on the team should feel that way. And I'm pretty known in meetings if somebody's talking too much to be like, let's, let's pause. There's some people that haven't talked enough. Um, I'd like to hear their perspectives too. That's really, you know, for, for introverts that are kind of like the ones that lean back when other people are getting amped up, that's like a shift in, in dynamic. And sometimes the, the more extroverted ones that are like getting hyped or maybe had too much coffee that day are like, oh, yeah, I might not be valuing other people's input here. And everybody, if you're sitting at a table with people, their input should be equally valuable. And so, gosh, coming back to how people feel. Love it. All right. Um that's the episode. I don't know if we accomplished anything. We talked about leadership and, uh, and how maybe they can be implemented for, for everyone else. So cool. No, any questions. Thanks for listening. Talk to y'all. Sounds good. Week. Later.